I get it. <laughs> You're as cold as ice. <laughs> You're willing to sacrifice our love. Hello there. You are listening to the Quarter to Three movie podcast for Warm Bodies. My name is Tom Chick, and this week I am here with Christian Murwanski. I wish I could introduce myself, but I don't remember my name anymore. Started with an M. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> I got you covered. And with a Warm Bodies tagline, Taliwand. I'd fuck a bony. <laughs> Wait a minute, what? Can we hear that one more time, Kelly Wand? You're sniggering over it. You have to introduce me again. I mean, oh yeah, and with our warm bodies tagline, take two, Kelly Wand. I'd fuck a bony. That's what I thought you said, and but I thought it was pony, and I, I didn't understand. Uh, <laughs> That's what you thought I said. It sounded like a like a poly short a kind of thing. <laughs> I'd fuck a pony. Was what you thought I said. Can we hear that again? <laughs> well, I wasn't sure. And first of all, Kelly Wan, that's our... Oh, no, it's not R-rated. It's PG-13. You were allowed the one F-bomb, so you have dropped it. So the tagline cannot have any more F-bombs in it, just so you know. I noticed the bonies didn't have dicks, so I took it they were all women. It's like fembots. Uh, I'm pretty sure that would rot off, and actually I wasn't looking at that. Uh you know what? Let's let's save that the spoiler parts of the podcast because maybe yeah. folks listening now spoiler parts talking about uh, decomposing dicks. Uh, yeah, I see. Very good, Kelly. Wand. Uh, we'll save that for the spoiler parts because maybe people listening haven't seen Warm Bodies and don't even know what bonies are, uh, but they do know that you would not have sex with them. No, so, I would. Oh, you would. You would have sex. Okay, right. Uh, well, you know, we'll explore that in a little bit, but first... I would fuck a pony. That's what you thought I said. <laughs> Kelly one, sometimes I have to hear things that you say twice before they you read... the negative and positive mixed up. You heard an extra word and misheard a consonant. Okay, it's, yes. like you're, it's, yeah, it's like you're speaking a whole other language, which is a beautiful thing about you, Kelly Wand. Mm, that's what Capcom said. Anyway. Uh, do we want to get into that? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, Kelly Wand, uh, as our uh, Canadian, by the way, did you know that this movie was shot in Canada, Kelly Wand? Mm. Was it headshot in Canada? <laughs> Get it? Because zombies. Mm. Get I, might it. To, I might have to hear that one a second time as well. But I wouldn't fuck a pony. <laughs> uh, let's see. So, Dingus, let's get into what, what was it that we saw this week um, that Kelly Wand is talking about? <laughs> All right. This week we saw Warm Bodies, mm. a 2013 American romantic comedy movie. Apparently it's a Canadian romantic comedy movie, according to Tom. Well, shot about, in Canada, but with American money, I believe. Right. So, <laughs> what? Just like the money is, makes it... All right. The bills that were used for the paperwork were American. We call them loonies, Kelly, not bills. American romantic comedy movie about a couple of wacky star-crossed lovers and the apocalypse. It was written and directed by Jonathan Levine, based on Isaac Maron's novel. It stars Nicholas Holt, Teresa Palmer, Anna Leigh Tipton, Rob Corddry, and John Malkovich. Kelly, what I was—I mean, uh, Dingus—I was expecting a comment there as well. I'm, I'm, a little... I'm hoping for that. Yeah. Yeah. What from Teresa Palmer or for it? From her no, Annalee Tipton, hello. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
I didn't know which one she was. <laughs> Aunt Malkovich. I'd fuck a bony. <laughs> Malkovich. Every time you say that, I hear Polly Shore talking about the weasel. Oh, that's mean. I mean, War Bodies is rated PG-13 for zombie violence and some language. Hmm. Zombie violence is now a phrase. Yeah, it is. Thank you, MPA. Yeah. Uh, Dingus, you mentioned Polly Shore, so I'm going to bring this up. Did you guys see the uh, any of the second season of Girls yet? No. He's on it. I was convinced, if you've seen the second season of Girls, the first episode of it, I was convinced that was Pauly Shore. I think you'll know there's a guy who plays an older drunk fella at a party who's really obnoxious, and uh, Lena Dunham has to sort of escort him out of the party. She has to basically kick him out. And the whole time I was like, wow, that's awesome. Pauly Shore is still working. Uh, and it, it was not Pauly Shore, unfortunately. And that's who Dingus <laughs> thinks I sound like. Sometimes. When you say your catch, when you say tonight's catchphrase, Kelly Wan, yes. I wouldn't you. fuck a pony. This is a nice catchphrase. I think as I have to say, it's weird when you say what we've seen every week. It's weird hearing you say 2013. I'm still not used to it. We're in the second month of 2013. Uh, We'd still be alive in 2013. It feels like the future, but if you look around, it looks like fucking 1963 still. (laughs) (laughs) That's the last year anything looked different. I read in a book. Uh, well, let's, math. <laughs> yeah, so let's see. Let's have some math. So, uh, Warm Bodies uh, opened at number one this weekend. Uh, it made it made just short of twenty million. Um, if you look at Metacritic, which gauges which which averages the rating from reviews that use ratings, Warm Bodies is at fifty nine. On Rotten Tomatoes, which gives you the percentage of reviews that are positive, Warm Bodies rates seventy seven percent positive. What? That's a huge spread. Like between the Ravens and the, uh, whatever the other guys were. Niners. <laughs> Thank you, Dingus, for knowing. Uh, speaking of huge spread, I just want to point out that uh, Sylvester Stallone's movie, Bullet to the Head, mm. tanked. Yeah. So I, I was. You. No one likes him. <laughs> we don't want to see him in movies anymore. Because in The Expendables, he had all those other dudes. But no one went, oh, yeah, Stallone's new movie. It was like, oh, Chuck Norris is in it for two minutes. Better go check it out. Well, Stallone, uh, his new movie, Schwarzenegger's movie, Last Stand, uh, Jason Statham is something called Parker, all of which have opened, like, not even cracked the top five. Separate, they suck, just like Marx Brothers. I guess so. You know what, Kelly Wan, you might be onto something. Uh so, uh, yeah, I, w- I was surprised at that. I thought we would see Bullet to the Head, uh, and I-, I was even thinking, well, maybe we should have seen that this week. Um, but So we-, we picked a winner. We picked the first place uh, movie. It opened at number one. Kelly Wan, why don't you tell us a little bit about – now, we're, we're going to warn you. Kelly Wan is about to say things that, that you might construe as spoilers for warm bodies. Uh, Kelly Wan, why don't you tell us what happens in that movie? Maybe give us a sort of a, a blow-by-blow account of the significant plot points. You mean a warm bopsis? Yeah. <laughs> yes, a warm bopsis. Rock and roll. Get mad at me if you knew it. Like, ha, see, I beat you. But then, all right. Whatever it's called, Kelly Wand, I'm looking forward to it. Is, is all I have to say at this point. <sighs> I became a suddenly unemployed writer this week, so maybe the last opsis for a little while because I'm bummed out. <laughs> 
Is we'll that part of the opsis, or is that a, a no, sort of a prologue? Just that in there to scare you. <laughs> okay. With the horrible truth. Being unemployed in Canada, it feels like you're living in a documentary about the history of Russian famines. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would think, Kelly Wan, that unemployment would just give you that much more time to write synopses. That's true. But I'm broke! We have to save the opsis with Kickstarter, Tom. <laughs> All right, let's, let's Kickstarter... Let's- a year of opsies. I think there's something there. All so right. let's, let's give them a taste of what they'd get if we made them pay for it. Awesome. Rock and roll. Warm bopsis. Amber Heard's dad, John Malkovich, is such an exasperatingly overprotective martinet, it's no wonder she has no personality traits. He built a giant concrete wall around the city just because zombies ate her stupid-ass mom and 99% of humanity. What a dick. Sure, he lets her go out on dangerous raids with a meager handful of other meagerly armed survivors to obtain duffel bags of Noxema, but he always has to twist the knife by saying condescending shit like, be careful and I love you, fucking police state. <laughs> Amber Heard's a badass survivor type. A handsome male zombie gets a total corpsicle just from watching the way she arbitrarily shoots her shotgun at all his friends but never hits anything. His name's R, because he doesn't remember the rest of it, just like R. Kelly. He wears gym clothes like he's a jock, but he acts super sensitive like he was a virgin when he got bitten. Chick zombies may not be cheap dates, and the nails are annoying, but no one's more inventive and eager when it comes to oral. Mm. I'm very upset, Dingus, by that reaction. The Noxima raid goes well, in the sense that Amber Heard's boyfriend forgets the rule about headshots and gets his brains eaten by R. And Amber Heard, who somehow misses seeing this happen, survives by cringing helplessly without trying to escape, while R smears a couple strokes of his shit on her cheek, which prevents other zombies from smelling her brain, heart, blood, and vagina. I guess the humans aren't aware of this ruse, also discovered accidentally by Arnie and Predator. R's the only zombie who knows it, he learned it by something. Amber Heard's cute friend, Veronica Cartwright, also survives the zombie attack. <laughs> I had faith up in that. Thank you, Kelly uh, That's for you. By adopting her friend's cowering strategy in a cupboard, and the zombie's not smelling her for some reason. <laughs> zombies don't sleep or fuck yet. R has a comfy bachelor pad and a plane out on the airport runway where he tries to be human by listening to records while wearing an oxygen mask. Although she keeps running away and almost dying, R gets Amber Heard to hang out with him for a few days by scrounging up some fruit cocktails and a beamer with a <laughs> Some things never change. That was extemporaneous. See? Kickstarter. Our zombie friend, Paul Shear is at first nonplussed. <laughs> See, you get that. But when he sees them hold hands, it totally alters his biochemistry, and despite R's inability to drive the Beamer, this instantly teaches Paul Shear how to drive forklift super fast and some bonies, the CG muscle tissue zombies everybody's scared of, even though they never win a battle, without them being able to hear or see him barreling towards them from the side. Guess you don't need headshots to kill bonies. Huh, headset microphone. Paul Shear and the other zombies, including a Martin Lawrence one, stare at a billboard in the airport that's an advertisement for holding hands, which makes all hearts start beating. (laughs) 
because they never saw billboards before. The G's show up and screech at them, so they all stop holding hands, and then hearts stop and go, okay, never mind. <laughs> my impression of the CG hearts. R takes Amber Heard to Tom Cruise's street in War of the Worlds. <laughs> she has him pretend to sleep on the floor of the upstairs bedroom containing the fewest child skeletons while she takes her clothes off and watches her dad and some other dudes drive by in the street below in Humvees looking bored. <laughs> they don't shoot anything. <laughs> My dad would totally shot you if he knew you were here. That's what even gets a zombie. Hey, wait a minute. Is that my boyfriend's watch? R's all, uh, didn't know he was your boyfriend when I ate <laughs> his brain. Just took watch for fun. Really offensive, by the way. She's all, I always knew. She's so broken up about it, she falls instantly asleep. R dreams of watching Amber Heard eat an apple in an orange grove while Veronica Cartwright and the dead boyfriend say pointless shit. When he wakes up, Amber Heard's gone back home. She had a hunch he'd suddenly start sleeping so she could bail. Paul Shear tells R that judging from the way they screeched in his face, the bonies are looking for him and Amber Heard. <laughs> awesome plotting. Ow. She's safely home behind the wall now, so whatevs, but still. R somehow finds a way through the impenetrable wall, leads right to Amber Heard's mansion, where she lives with Veronica Cartwright in post-apocalyptic splendor. He moans up at her window till they let him in and put girls' makeup on him so he can make a good impression on her dad. (laughs) See? I don't need to be happy to write these. He tries to tell the dad the thing about the hand-holding, but stupid Malkovich just doesn't get it. He's such a hard case, he loves his dead wife too much to endorse the idea of this kid's putrefying cock inside his daughter's pussy. Hey! I know, it's not cool. G13. Luckily, Veronica Cartwright puts a gun to his head and threatens to blow his brains out unless he lets the movie end. He sees the wisdom in this and takes no punitive action afterwards since it was a small gun. (laughs) Paul Shear and the zombies fight the bonies, which we don't get to see, and somehow the slow-moving zombies prevail. R saves Amber Heard by jumping into water, which the bonies can't do, because something. The water makes Pinocchio human again, but Malkovich isn't convinced till he shoots R through the chest. He's bleeding to death, Amber Heard screams triumphantly. My mother's avenged. Though they still don't know what caused the original Zompocalypse, the wall comes down in a dusty cloud of asbestos CG. In the park, Paul Shear has an umbrella for some reason, even though he can't open it, but a chick who doesn't have an umbrella for some reason opens it for him and tries to bail, but he doesn't let her, so they get married and have kids who all look like basket case. The end. Uh, all right, quick uh, check around the room. So, uh, Dingus, uh, when you had emailed me earlier this week, you were watching Fifty Fifty. I was like, what? Why? I, 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 okay, whatever. I guess you're catching up on your Anna Kendrick. I'd completely forgotten that was Jonathan Levine as well. Um, so Jonathan Levine started with a movie called All the Boys Love Mandy Lane. Then he did The Wackness. Then he did Fifty Fifty. Now he's done Warm Bodies. Uh, Dingus, of those four movies, how many have you seen? All the Boys Love Mandy Lane and Fifty Fifty. Uh, Kelly Wand, of those four movies, how many have you seen? 
The whackness, and I'm bummed Olivia Thirlby wasn't in this with brunette hair. Ah, yeah, yeah. Just saying. Uh, all right, well, that, that then qualifies me to be the Jonathan Levine expert, having seen all four. Um, all right, well, Dingus, why don't you start us off? Uh, how did you find uh, Warm Bodies? I really hate to review a movie this way, but I have to say meh. Yeah, I'm with Dingus. Like, it's not bad, but it's not like there's no memorable set pieces like Bill Murray in Zombieland. It's just kind of like there. It feels like a short. I mean, one of the things that you have to understand is what is the size of your idea? And this movie has far less emotional impact than, let's say... Uh, what is it? I love Sarah Jane. What is it? What's the name of that? Yep, I love Sarah Jane. The uh, uh, David Michaud uh, short that you can watch on on uh, YouTube. Also, the zombie right. mythology. That's right. That's right, Dingus. Right. So I'm watching this and I'm just thinking, this is cute, but it's a 20 minute idea, and it just keeps going. It's well, just, you, there's nothing. It, there's nothing that. Uh, you say that, Dingus, but it's actually from a novel. Uh, yeah, well, no, it's from a short story that somebody convinced him to stretch into a novel. Ah, okay. Very mm. good, then. Uh, well, you guys are both meh. Uh, I'm going to do you one better and say I, I, I'm a little angry at it. Well, I'm not angry, but I don't think it's – I'm just – here we go. I'm colossally disappointed um, for the reason that um, – I don't know anything about the novel. I have not read it. Uh, I just knew it was a novel. But Jonathan Levine, when he did this this movie called All the Boys Love Mandy Lane, showed a keen appreciation for slasher films. And slasher films are basically the lowest of horror of the horror genre. Like, like slasher films are so formulaic. They offer so little. They are so. I'm, they only I'm offer so, slashes. You're, you're, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right, Kelly Wan. Like, there's only so much you can do with a crazy dude running around slashing people. Uh, and I, I just feel like it's a, it's a sort of a dead branch of, of the horror genre. Um, I have no use for it, and I, I think there's nothing to it. But Jonathan Levine really showed insight into it and breathed new life into that genre with All the Boys Love Mandy Lane. So I was tricked into believing here is a guy who has really keen insight into horror. And therefore, I can't wait to see what he's going to do with zombie mythology. And while I agree with you guys that this movie is meh, I think it shows a fundamental lack of mis- of understanding about what zombie mythology is about. Um, I-, I loved the way that early on it played with being from the perspective of a zombie, with the voiceover stuff. Um, I really liked his dream sequence. Um, but for the most part... It's really weird use of zombie mythology to make this film that affirms that love will change the world and bring us all together. And um, Yeah, I hate that. Well, and I hate that because to me, the point of zombie mythology is the inevitability of, of decay and chaos and the, the drive of human appetites, the loss of identity, being betrayed by people you know. I mean, there's, there's, these are the things that zombie mythology is about, and I don't understand why he's using that to tell this little love conquers all story. Um, and and as, as a counterpoint, uh, Zombieland used zombie mythology effectively to make an interesting affirmative, 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 an interesting story that, you know, I'll put it this way, an interesting story that affirms the importance of relationships. Like Zombieland is ultimately a hopeful 
optimistic movie about relationships. Uh, and it uses a zombie mythology to tell this story about coming out of your own rules and, and, and risking yourself at love. You know, all these things that are, that are the substance of romantic comedies. Zombieland did a great job expressing that. Um, and here, which is where, what they're trying to go for, it just felt kind of forced and, and poorly explained. Uh, it seemed to obviously it was doing this Romeo and Juliet thing. Uh, ah, it just, and it just feels like he, he doesn't understand what zombie mythology is about, and he hears a very poor use of it. So I'm more than mad. I'm just I'm, I'm really disappointed in Jonathan Levine. I don't like uh, World Falls in Love stuff for my romances either. Like I like it where it's just two lovers against the universe. But if Dad approves and the wall comes down, it seems to make it less. You know, Kelly Wand, I'm a little surprised to hear that from the guy who picked Silver Linings Playbook as his number one movie of last year. Well, no, everyone else, no one else fell in love but the two main characters. Okay. Right? De Niro doesn't. I think, I think Paul Shear wanted to fall in love. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's usually trying to keep you apart from the one you love. I don't, I don't really know zombie mythology as well as uh, as Tom does, and I'm not really that wedded to it. Uh, what I do require is a certain amount of rules within the movie itself. And if, if these are zombies or they're infected or whatever, you're going to make them fine. But but don't start with this idea of we are so slow as we shamble, and then suddenly when we attack, we're super fast, and then construction workers can run fast, and some of us run, some of us don't. I mean, just set, give me a set of rules that I can live by within your movie, just within your movie. Whatever you're going to do with zombie mythology doesn't really bother me that much. Um, but just have a set of rules that I feel like I can... I can hang my hat on during this particular movie that you're doing, and then I'll be able to relax into your movie. But I don't ever get a sense that he even cares about that. Yeah. And even the entire premise, Dingus, that love is going to just make all the zombies magically better when they see people yeah. holding hands. I mean, that right there, really, that's that's what you're going to do. They never tried that before. <laughs> they always use shotguns. They never tried love and billboards. It's more about our... Jonathan Levine is now in, see that's that's what you talking about. It's like he's now incorporated that in his zombie like love love will do what a shotgun can't. Well, I you know, I don't I don't mind that so much. It's it's like a reverse virus almost. It's like she's patient zero or something, or he's patient zero, whatever. These these two have triggered something and then that, that goes over to the Rob Cordy Cordry character and somehow that spreads through everybody else. That's okay with me. It's just that the movie doesn't really set any sort of sense of rules, and I require that when I'm watching this kind of movie. Well, Dingus, you know what? You say that's okay with you, but I I have a problem with that because from the get-go, he is supposedly somehow a, a super-sensitive zombie who has more oh. self-awareness, and he's built his own lair. Like, there's this kind of they're trying to make him this cute kind of Wally kind of character where he's got his, <laughs> his little area and he's got his love of, of vinyl back there. Uh, even before we get to this idea of love as a viral, as, an, as a reverse viral contagion, there's some kind of broken rule here. It, it's like, why is this zombie able to look at her? Even before he eats the boyfriend's brains, by the way. You know, Kelly Wan mentioned the scene where he looks at her and what is the 80s pop tune that plays... Missing is it since I've been missing you or whatever? There's a song that plays. There's this sort of love at first sight thing. The moment he sees her, why is that? What's the rule? I mean, nothing is explained there. Um, I didn't understand any of that, or what sets this guy apart, or what makes their relationship special before he eats the boyfriend's brains. Um, yeah, they're very he, generic characters. Both of them. 
Well, early on, when he's doing his voiceover, uh, I got the sense that they're all like that. You know, he's he's talking about you know running, uh, bumping right. into each other, and we can't express ourselves. And my my sense early on during that uh, almost interminable voiceover um, that all of them have this internal monologue going on, but nobody can express okay. anything to anybody else. But then. She says to him, "Is there any? Are there any others like you? What are you?" She keeps saying, "What are you? Are there any others like you?" And we're supposed to think he's singular for some reason. And I never get right. a sense of why is he the chosen one? Why is he singular? Who the hell is he? Why? There's no right. why for that. Yeah, and that's the rule that bothered me far more than inconsistency about whether or not they can run and the headshot stuff. And uh, it hadn't even occurred to me what Kelly Wong pointed out about the bonies. You can just hit them with a Zamboni, and that, that's just as good as headshots. Ah, Zamboni. Get it? <laughs> Very good. Uh, let, let's talk about the two leads. Um, Kelly Wan, you kept referring to uh, uh, look at her, uh, Teresa Palmer as Amber Heard, and I, I want to take issue with that. Okay. A- Amber Heard has, has a pretty uh, significant amount of personality. Uh, <laughs> yeah, true. But it's so cruel, Tom. How dare you? <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I just she was boring. She's like, you know what? I, I can de- I can live without having fucked you. That's what I thought. <laughs> Did you just say that? I like you, your ass is fine. I like your ass. You have little things, but you know, you're not. I wouldn't remember you. She's like Kelly a less charismatic Kristen Stewart. Dingus, exactly. That's what I kept thinking. I. And 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 part of me it watches like looks at her and thinks, holy cats, is this you know is Kristen Stewart now the template for this whole generation yeah. of actresses? Because not only looking like her, but that same kind of vacant, non-committal uh, performance with her 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 opposing lead. Like I I I, my, I was just flabbergasted. This is what. Jonathan Levine, the guy who basically discovered Amber Heard, this is what he wants to put forward as the lead in his movie. I couldn't believe that. Uh, I kind of liked the guy, though. I thought he was convincing. Well, I like Nicholas Holt a lot, and we uh, we mentioned that last week, but I... Watching this, I would get. I mean, he's just kind of like pretty and unthreatening in this. But he has to do. It's kind of an annoying role to play. And I thought he was consistent where most of the rest of the movie had no consistency. Yeah, I just. I know that I would watch this and have. Like, I've seen Nicholas Holt in. uh, The thing I go back to is he's great as Nicholas Cage's son in a movie called The Weatherman. uh, And he's very memorable in that. Of course, everybody remembers him in about a boy but that's just because he was this young precocious kid um i really like him but i would never know that i really like him from watching warm bodies um well compared to her and other people well and here's the thing uh so sometimes when i get bored in a movie i'm i'm reading the headlines on the newspapers that they show or watching what's on the screens in the background here i think because i was bored i was really taken with a supporting actress named anna lee tipton yeah Every time she came on screen, like she had some interesting bit of business. She she has a fascinating look to her. She had good uh, timing. She had great timing, and the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, "Wait, why can't she be our lead?" I know. She's inter- interesting looking too. Yeah, she uh, she's it she's made- got energy, and she's got yep. life to her. She's got a yep. whole personality, and you've got a sense that there's a there's a past there. There's a there's yeah. a whole backstory to her. There's so much going on in her face. I loved her. 
And it's kind of cruel to have this poor uh, uh, Teresa Palmer chick put in front of us the whole time, and then to have Annalie Tipton come on, on stage and or on screen <clears throat> and upstage her every time. That's kind of a mean thing to do to your lead actress. That happens a lot, though. Like Sharon Stone upstaged what's her face till her recall. Rachel. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, Sharon. I mean, I think that was supposed to happen, though. Uh, in the remake, by the way, it's just like. Um, uh, Kate Beckinsale upstaging Jessica Biel. See, Kelly Wand? Ugh. <laughs> uh, by the way, so Anna Lee Tipton, uh, this makes me want to see uh, Witch Stillman's last movie called Damsels in Distress with Greta Gerwig. Uh, Anna Lee Tipton is one of the leads in that, and I haven't seen it, but now I, I really want to see that, even though I've heard that it's terrible. Um, Which movie? All of a sudden, I'm reminded of uh, Piper Parabo in Carriers. Sure. Because, uh, she... She, I don't think she did anything interesting before that, but she was so good in Carriers. And I think that if they had let Annalie Tipton be the lead in this, we could have had something similar going on. At least uh, some sort of contrast with Nicholas Holt instead of two people who are sort of – he has to play somebody who's basically <laughs> vacant, and she's vacant. <laughs> That's yeah. true. She, she's as convincing a zombie as he was. Right? He's the zombie, and he's the human. Uh, Dingus, what's your deal that you don't remember? Isn't Piper Parabo a significant player in Coyote Ugly? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, she is, but Coy- it's Coyote Ugly. Come on. Rocky and Bullwinkle she's in? Uh... <laughs> wow, Kelly Wand. Isn't she a significant <laughs> player in Coyote Ugly? Has that ever been said before? <laughs> well, I just said it, so there. <laughs> she can't sing unless the lights are turned out, and she's not nervous, because <laughs> she's less nervous in the dark in the strip club. Is that from Coyote Ugly? Yeah. No, oh, I've actually never seen it, so... Oh, dude! <laughs> it's not a movie. <laughs> it's better than Warm Bodies. Uh, Dingus, I know what you're referencing. Nobody got that but me. Wait, wait I didn't hear him. I was thinking <laughs> he, about... he drops in a just out of nowhere. It's how Dingus' mind works. It's sort of like a partial line reading or a tone of voice. It, it, may, it reminds him of, of a line from Adaptation. Uh, and so he just gives the – it's sort of like a liturgy. It's like a, a call and response thing with Dingus. If something sounds like a piece of a movie, Dingus will give you the, the response line from the movie. Uh, so if you're like you're well acquainted with adaptation, it's a great little moment. Uh, what was his line? That's all I wanted to There's know. an amazing That's part in, in adaptation where Charlie Kaufman is talking to his brother about flowers for Algernon. Has there ever been a movie about flowers? Uh, and – uh, his his brother suggests Flowers for Algernon, and Charlie Kaufman says it's not a movie, and besides, it's not about flowers. And his brother says, oh, well, I, I didn't see it. <laughs> Am I right, Dingus? So did I suss out your reference? Did I get it? Yes, you did. Very good. Wait, he said I didn't see it? Get it? Yeah. Uh, I, that's uh, all right, so, remember. <laughs> Charlie Wan, how did you feel about the very PG-13 nature of this zombie story? Hmm... Predictably, predictably was, disappointed. You could see them trying to like be gory. Like what? What was the like? He was eating brains. Yeah, like he's eating. Did he keep the brains in his? Palm? Yeah, I, it's the, yeah. Like I do. What? Like I was wondering. Too, like, why does he have the watch? Where are the brains coming from? How long do the brains keep? What is, it, is anybody else's brains or just that guy's? How come that one guy dreamed only about having sex with his one girl? Like he had no memories of him when he was a kid. <laughs> And there's so many fucking songs in a row. I really did just spend time cataloging all that. The way Tom looks at news crawls in Green Hornet. Can you can you put on another song? It's not funny. <laughs> See, she made that line great too. That's not even that good a line, but she just 
knocked it out of the park. What's your yeah, name? I like that. I like that idea though that he that he eats the brains and gets the memories. I like that idea. It's cool. Ugh. But again, why didn't it happen to anyone else? Like it's this weird. I don't. Yeah. You know, the whole zombies eating brains thing was a lark from a Dan O'Bannon movie called Return of the Living Dead from I guess that was mid '80s or whatever. Uh, so this idea now that zombies are like assimilating knowledge from eating brains. Um, okay, if you want to do that, fine. Because he misses being human, too. Yeah, that's what you're going to do with it? It's just going to then make him understand the boyfriend who loved her? or yes. so, and, and it's, by the way, it's how he knows how to get into the, the, the city. Is He follows right. backwards uh, well. the, the memory of how they left the city. Um, hmm. Well, but again, yeah, so why isn't it – you would think that zombies everywhere would have this inside knowledge into people and insight and be having other people's dreams and feelings and knowing how to get into the city and uh, – yeah. You so know, I, I love that as a drive for eating brains instead of just hunger. I mean this this memory hunger. I mean that's a cool idea, but you're right. There's, there's, you, you see it in no other characters in this movie. Yeah, and, and it's used just to get him into the – through the wall too. Well, it's also – I think they're playing with this idea of – I can't think of other movies like where, where where somebody falls in love with another woman through someone else's perspective, like a Cyrano de Bergerac kind uh, of thing. Brainstorm with Natalie Wood. Uh, too soon? Future World. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, and again, it's just like a, they just explore this stuff so doesn't he like also he eats the brains the sixth time and goes oh wait that's her boyfriend like he's seen them before in other flashbacks and he never gave a shit am i wrong and then like three brain meals in we don't know no he knows right away it's just that the the last time his in the distasteful meal it's the the memory of him killing the guy. That's right. That's that, distasteful. Yeah, that makes the brains taste bad. Oh, so no, like, just... He didn't think of that before. He's uh, that's really. Uh, are you sure, Dingus? Yeah, yeah. That's the when he's in the cockpit uh, eating Dingus. the leftover brains. Maybe just because they've gone bad. Uh, he, <laughs> this is the uh, short term memory part of the brain that he's eating. Yeah, yeah and... stale brain. What colors that? <laughs> And why can they move so fast and they're so strong yeah. in the lab? And the, but they show. Uh. There's even that line like, "Oh, we move so slow, ha ha!" And then uh, we can run if we want. Just to <laughs> let you know, we, we mostly. I don't even understand the bonies. They're not skeletons at all. That's there's nothing. They, they just aren't are skinless. They should be called skinlesses. Super fast. What 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 the, what's the deal? They 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 get so, they. Fall into desperation, peel off the first layer of skin, and then they get called bonies, and they're they're not recoverable. What is that? And they get so, shot. yeah. My theory is that it's probably something about the longer you're a zombie, the more you succumb to pure appetite, and the more you lose contact with your humanity. He said he die, they zombies die if they don't eat, keep eating the brains too. Which a, right. how does he know that? B, we've never seen that happen before, and C, that means the humans can win just by sitting back. Doesn't it? <laughs> uh, the twenty-eight days later solution. Yes. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Because twenty-eight days later, they let the 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 rage virus, the people who are infected, just starve to death, right? 
And so he's sending kids out to get medical supplies. Yeah. But then later we see Humvees and soldiers marching down the street. Yeah, I didn't get that either, Diggis. Well, that's to re- that's the party to rescue his daughter. If they're just going to send, they're just going to send the teen brigade out for getting supplies, as Kelly Wong called it, the Noxzema run. Uh-huh. He misses seeing her too, at, at looking out a window at him. I guess the search isn't that thorough. So I wanted to bring up uh, so this idea too that that zombies um, that we can just learn to get along with them. Uh, it's kind of sad to me that the guy who pretty much codified, invented, and codified zombie mythology as we know it, George Romero, uh, his most recent not his most recent because he's actually done some horrible, horrible zombie movies lately. Um, but the last one where he had any sort of a meaningful budget was called Land of the Dead. Um, Kelly, one did you see that? I know Dingus did. Yeah, but Diary of the Dead's after that. Diary of the Dead, though, it has no budget. He has no actors. I think that's the found footage one, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. Yeah, terrible. It's terrible. And then there's one on an island, too. I didn't uh, see that one. Yeah, where like there's a woman who turns into a zombie and rides around on a horse. Or they, get, they get increasingly ridiculous. Um, but Land of the Dead ended it, it, across from Night of the Living Dead to Dawn of the Dead. Then we have Day of the Day. Dead, which introduces this idea uh, that the zombies, exactly, the zombie bub, it introduces the idea that they've retained some of their humanity. Um, which, that guy in Land, too. And they what? That guy in Land did, too. That, um, well, and that's the, that's the sort of the, not really reveal, but that's the idea that's explored further in Land of the Dead. That the zombies just are misunderstood. They still want to be human. They retain a connection to their human form. And Land of the Dead ends with this weird sense of a, a zombie-human detente. Like, hey, we can just all get along. Um, which, I, whatever. If that's what George Romero wants to do, fine. Um, but uh, Wait, wait, wait. wait. Yes, Land of yes, the Dead doesn't end with that. Yeah, it does. Yep. The RV shooting fireworks. I remember that. Right, and the fireworks distract the zombies, and uh, Simon Baker kind of wistfully looks at the guy who used to work at the gas station, and their eyes meet, and they kind of understand each other. Mm, Isn't that how it ends? They're not going to hang out and and share. no, no, right, right. They're not going to let. They're not going to like, for instance, bring the wall down like they do at the end of Warm Bodies. <laughs> but they do come to an understanding of each other. They, they, they're going to decide to sort of coexist. It's a look. Yeah, you know, they'll be. A, it's right after they eat all the Dennis Hopper rich people, right? Like, there's no one. They understand each other now that they've killed everybody. Well, the zombies traditionally, you know, they've got to break through the barricade and become this great social equalizer. So that happens. But then after Simon Baker and those people escape, they're going to have an understanding with the zombies and they're just going to try to get along. Yeah. I mean, not not as literal as as bringing the wall down like they do in warm bodies, but that same kind of idea. Um, A look instead of a wall. Yeah. But anyway, so warm bodies reminded me, uh, brought to mind for me two zombie movies that I want to bring up. Um, Have you guys seen Fido? Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of when you were talking about this. So, what did uh, could you did Fido remind you of this, Dingus? Like, did you see the sort of continuity there? Yeah, definitely. I, Fido didn't do a lot for me. I thought it was cute, but and it's this idea of people interacting with zombies, and Fido plays more like a stylized black comedy slash social satire kind of. And I'm with right. you, Dingus. I didn't care much for it. Um, but the one that uh, I also don't like, but I think is much more ambitious and ultimately uh, effective at exploring what Warm Bodies was trying to do, is a, I think what you would call a micro-budget British movie uh, called Colin. Uh, the director's a fellow named Mark Price. 
it's it's an indie that is often bogged down by its kind of, I guess, to be cruel, I would say amateurishness, but to be kind, maybe lack of resources. Uh, you could put it that way. Uh, Colin is very, very low budget, and you can kind of tell. Um, but it's obviously made by someone who really wants to explore the implications of zombie mythology from the inside, from the perspective of a zombie. Uh, and it just follows this one guy who's a zombie. It's kind of a day in the life of a zombie. And it's a slow movie at times, and there's a lot where nothing really happens. Uh, there are a couple of good scenes. Um, and ultimately, I, I would recommend Colin because I like the payoff. I like where it goes and the point that it ends up trying to make. Um, so if you can stomach low-budget, uh, basically no-budget indie horror films, uh, I think Colin did far better uh, at what Warm Bodies was trying to do. Why isn't Fido a cat's name? <laughs> uh, I don't know that a cat would answer to that, Kelly Wand. Why don't you try that? Uh, let us know Fido. That can, some, can somebody tell me where she got that weed whacker from? You know, dang it, so uh, I didn't want to bring this up before the 3x3, three three, but there were also moments where a flashlight would appear or disappear. Like she would, because I just look had at one in her hand all of a sudden. Yeah, and then, it's, and then it's gone. Like she dropped it. Like I'm like, where is she? Is it in her back pocket? Or, yeah. And that weed whacker is so random. I'm guessing there's yeah. a scene where she takes it up and it got cut for whatever reason. But, uh, yeah, that, that was odd. Every time she ran away, too, she's instantly surrounded and about to die like he just shows up deus ex machina style but like how did she ever make it 20 minutes before this yeah obviously she got special uh treatment as the daughter of the king or governor or president or whatever john malkovich was that's uh, the weed whacker yeah yeah uh kelly one did you see any um what i would describe as diablo cody in this movie When they do the makeup on him? I actually kind of liked that scene, just mainly because uh, Anna Lee Tipton was in it. But uh, the Diablo Cody that I'm mentioning is this idea that you take your you know, 30 or 40-year-old values or whatever they are, and you apply them to kids these days. This idea that somebody Nicholas Holt's age would embrace vinyl, you know, as sounding better. Oh, yeah. And that, uh, that um, Teresa Palmer would pick up a Polaroid camera and go, cool, these are great you know uh or that she would know what a, a a lucio fulci movie is you know she holds up that zombie dvd that italian zombie movie next to his face that he would have that uh just this idea that you know kids they love the same things that we that our generation likes yeah. uh, i see that as a very diablo cody kind of thing it's a very exciting generation that's what i got from this movie uh they did have the cute line where uh uh, Annalie Tipton said something about, I wish we had the internet so we could look that up. Um, did she just get all the good lines, or is she just that much more lively? She's the wacky friend, and the love interest has to be bland because she's serious. Come on, serious love interest. Kind of like wacky. Chelsea Handler in This Means War. Reese <laughs> Witherspoon did watch Butch and Sundance. That's true. She did have that going for her. Uh, she also had the. She also was so good that she could make something out of the line. Sup? Yeah, exactly. Yes, Dingus. Because that's that's not on the page. That's all Anna Lee Tipton. Yeah. Uh, you have that kind of face. <laughs> that, exactly, in that little bit about right, right. Um, yes. Yeah, 
So Kelly Wan, watch uh, watch that Witch Stillman movie, Damsels in Distress, and let us know if 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 we should watch that. I thought you said Colin. <laughs> okay, watch. You don't have to watch Colin. You're excused from that. You may not be ready for it. Uh, but I do want you to take the Damsels in Distress bullet uh, and report back to us. Can you handle that? Uh, yes. Okay, good. I just want to say I'm totally annoyed with the scars on Nicholas Holt's face because I think they were constantly morphing. And then they just disappeared at the end. And no matter what happens to you, your scars just don't go away. But no, Dingus, his, they... his scars were moving all over his lips. And <laughs> come on, makeup people. Wait, his come heart's on. beating because he's holding a hand or something. But to you, the the unbelievable part is that his scar is shrinking. I don't skin. believe it. I, I just through the course of the movie, come on, just get his scars right, people. Come on, why aren't his you? His hair is perfectly calm too. Zombie hair. Uh, Dingus, what bothered you more? Nicholas Holt's scars moving around in warm bodies or uh, the blood on Elizabeth Olsen's white tank top in Silent House? Uh, I would uh, yeah, I would say <laughs> the scars because I was kind of on his lips. Come on. Damn it. And then they're gone at the end. In, that in just his- means he got better. That's what happens when you get better as a zombie, Dingus, is the scars you had, uh, they go away. You see? Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you for providing those rules for me, Tom. I appreciate that. Yeah, if you have any other questions about zombie rules, I can help you out there. Uh, do you think they had like a zombie rule Bible for, for this movie that they had to refer to? They used the Bible. <laughs> I don't know that there's zombie rules in there. No. Uh, I thought All right, so Dingus, uh, rank for me. So you haven't seen The Wackness, right? No. Uh, tell us real quickly, Dingus, about uh, your experience with Fifty Fifty. It's fine. <laughs> Sounds def- like that's is that is that above or below is meh? Is that the Metacritic or God. it's a, it's slightly it's slightly above meh. Uh, fifty fifty is slightly above meh. I think it's fine. Uh, I, I loved uh, Mandy Lane, and I just don't understand why it's not available anywhere. What the hell is wrong with people? What do you mean I it's think- not available anywhere? I think even to this day, if you look on Netflix, it's still on on that green save button. I don't think you can find it. Um, I luckily got handed a screener by somebody uh, a couple of years ago, and I really loved uh, All the Boys Love Mandy Lane. And that, this was before I was really getting into or trying to understand horror movies or slasher movies or whatever. I really liked the way that movie I, I love the tone of it. I love the pacing of it. I loved Amber Heard. I like the way that movie runs. And I don't understand why it just got bogged down and never truly released. And Fifty Fifty is fine. It just, you know, doesn't do all that much for me. I know it appeared on some people's top ten lists, but it it's fine. And then this movie is just meh. Yeah, actually, you know what, Dingus? I think All the Boys Love Mandy Lane may have never been released. Uh, really? Now that I think of it, yeah, I know there was some. Uh, was it? Did Miramax have it, or somebody who had it basically gave up the rights real cheaply because they didn't want to release it? Um, so I, I think it was. It had some sort of like studio release hell situation. So maybe that's. And did it never get a DVD release? That would suck if so. Um, I don't know, but it, I don't think it's ever appeared on Netflix, and um, and I I just don't understand that because I think it's slick. And I think it's got a great premise, and I think it's well-made. So I don't know what the heck happened. It must be some battle that went on. 
Yeah. And it's also R-rated, I, I think. I'm coming around to Kelly Wan's side. I, it was so ridiculous in this movie to me to see, like, shooting zombies and zombies eating people and to see it being so relentlessly PG-13. Uh, that just That's so silly to me. You can't... Is, is there Kelly Wan, is there any zombie movie that's rated PG-13 that doesn't look ridiculous? Uh, Zombieland could have been PG-13. No, no way. Come on. Zombieland had lots of gore, didn't it? I don't remember yeah. any. Yeah. Okay. Just because it's it's as you expect. If like I will always remember uh, warm bodies for the, the the places where the gore should have gone and did not exist. Uh, that stands out to me. Um, it's a romance without sex and a zombie movie without gore. One two three. Really? I apologize. You know what else, too? There's, like, no cute chick zombies. Like, for... There were kid zombies, by the way. Very, very, um... They didn't put a lot of makeup on them. They didn't want to make them look too scary. But there were definitely two little kid zombies running around. Yeah. G-13 is scary. Yeah. Yeah, and then... Dingus, what is... Did anything ever come with them? Are they the kids in the the hide-and-seek? Yep, they get better, and they do kid things and have kid lives. So... All's well that ends well. Yeah. Dingus, what do we have for this week's uh, three by three? So these are your top uh, moments with flashlights. Uh, I introduced the topic talking about that moment in Jurassic Park where Joseph Nazello's character uh, is in the SUV and T-Rex comes down and he raises the flashlight and you see the pupil of the T-Rex dilate. Or not dilate, but uh, but I don't know what the opposite word of dilate is. Constrict. Uh, de-dilate. Constrict. De-dilate. Uh, you see the pupil just down. I love that little flashlight moment. I love flashlights in movies. You love flashlights in movies? Because <laughs> as, as I was trying to think for this, I was like, this is such a broad, general thing that uh, I, I had a tough time with this yeah, one. I did too. Way harder than I would have thought. It's a little generic, I think. Um, but I, I love a, a director who uses flashlights, and uh, even more so, I like a, a, a cinematographer who can shoot them properly so that they look cool, because uh, that's not always easy to do. Well, let's get into it then. Let's see what things we've come up with, and uh, if we have any reader submissions, and then we'll do some runners-up. Um, so, Kelly Wand... This would be the challenge. Uh, yeah, you know, that is a good point, Kelly Wand. Thank you. Well, wow, so I'm looking at my list. Before. Everything is horror, pretty much. Yeah. I've got one that's not. Well, okay, we'll see. Uh, well, Kelly Wand, you're starting this off. Why don't you tell us your number three pick? And uh, how did you approach this list, Kelly Wand? How did you get in the right frame of mind for it? I go, oh, there's gonna, be, it's gonna be too easy. I'll put it off to the last second, and then I went, holy shit, what the hell is he talking about? I better check the internet. What? Nothing. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> what? Nothing. Oh. <laughs> I'm so endearing. All right. Well, I can't wait to hear what That's you came so up with then. Without the assistance of the internet, what is your number three pick? Yeah, I'm going to help the internet. I'm paying it forward like Haley Joel. <laughs> Billy Haley Joel. My number three is from a movie that I remember talking about with you, but I forget everything we said about it, which I'm thinking is ha- happens every time we talk to you. <laughs> If you're lucky. Uh, my number three is from that movie, uh, Quarantine 2 Terminal. 
Oh, right. Okay. Shut up, I don't Dingus. Remember, I mean, suck me with this. Listen to him. Yeah, Dingus, let the horror fans talk. What's he going to have? See, he's got three now. He's going to have, you know, there's going to be a flashlight and rush more. Yeah. And, and, uh, <laughs> maybe there's a Star Wars midnight. scene. Flashlight. Flashlight. <laughs> if you're going to run at midnight, you want to see where you're going. <laughs> doesn't have a joke. <laughs> all right, so Quarantine 2, what's the, uh, first of all, tell us what that is, and then tell us the flashlight it's moment. sequel to Quarantine 1, nothing, uh, where, um, and then, and it had really, it, it was one of those movies where afterwards I couldn't decide if I'd liked it because the main chick was kind of cute, like, I kind of watched her running around a lot. Quarantine 2? Yeah, remember the, this, the, this is the airplane one, right? Yeah, yeah, I like the that. stewardess chick, okay, okay. It's pretty fun, look. Looking, right. <laughs> I, I so don't remember that actress. I mean, I remember the premise. The no, no one in the cast really s- s- stuck with me. Um, uh, I, that movie's okay. No, no. It, you know what? It's far better than the. So, Quarantine is the American remake of Wreck. R E C. Um, I haven't seen it still. Oh, you haven't? Because that's a great actress, by the way. The chicken Wreck is wonderful. Uh, she's memorable. Um, so and then and then the Spanish directors uh, then went on to do a Rec Two and a Rec Three. Uh, meanwhile, Quarantine uh, Rec, instead of being released in the U.S., was just cheaply remade and renamed Quarantine. So they did a sequel to Quarantine, which has nothing to do with Rec or Rec Two. It's kind of like the American branch of the Rec movies. Uh, and Quarantine Two has the premise of a zombie apocalypse on an airplane. Uh, which Wait, that's kind of what you wanted set. me to say? All that stuff? Uh, I'm just going to give some backstory. <laughs> well, no, because it's like a they mentioned like a guy has like a guy on the plane. One of the passengers has mm-hmm. something to do with the serum or whatever it is. Like with the outbreak, right? Right. With the outbreak in the it, so the the point the wreck zombie apocalypse starts with I think infected dogs at a veterinary's and office. Rats. Yeah, and so oh, no. that was like a guy in the. Oh, see, I, don't, I didn't see Rex. I don't know why I'm arguing with you about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, rate, the point is, it's it's basically Rec Two in America, but it has nothing to do with the Rec movies in Spain. Um, there's probably a lot of good flashlight scenes in Quarantine One that I'm now remembering. <laughs> Are there any? Is there any of the religious angle? Uh, in uh, no, no, not in the American movies. In the Spanish movies, the second wreck decides to pretty much abandon the zombie epidemic disease scientific angle in favor of it being all a religious demonic possession movie. Uh, That's what happened with Night of the Living Dead. Like in Night of the Living Dead, the original one, it was because of some probe that came back from Venus. No, no, Kelly oh, yeah. Wan. What? No, it's no, a space thing. And then the second no, one, it's like Kelly Wan. No, Kelly Wan. I'm going to school you now in zombie mythology. Not uh, <laughs> in Night of the Living Dead, they don't know. This is just one of the, the theories that's put mm-hmm. forth. Uh, it's one no, that out on the news, so therefore it's true. Right, right. So, <laughs> Very good. News knows. Venus you're right. It's the one that got the most traction in the media. You're, you are correct. But I don't think there's ever – George Romero never fully explored this idea that it was supernatural in the sense that, that uh, the Spanish guys who did Wreck did with their series. In, in, Night of the, in Dawn of the Dead, there's just a throwaway comment about, my grandmama said when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. See? Uh, that's not supposed that to be presented. That means it's true. Yeah, it is. Hell's true. It's, 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 it's got to 
How big is the Earth, really? It makes perfect sense. There's too many dead people in hell. Yeah, most of us probably go to hell, I would think, right? Yeah, but how many? How much space do we really take up at that point? Kelly, what Dinkus is asking is how many demons can dance on the head of a pin? Uh, anyway, the flashlight's where she sees the pilot eating. And like The last time you saw the pilot, he was like barricading a door and saying, all right, yeah, we got this, go to the something and get the thing. And then she comes back, and the door's open, and then she turns it, and then he, like, jumps at her. So it was really scary. That's my so, favorite. <laughs> flashlight illuminating the, uh, the, the eating pilot in quarantine, yes. too. All right. Terrifying. Okay. Very terrifying. You're welcome, uh, Internet. Plenty of horror movies have flashlights illuminating scary things. Um, Every so one of them does. I, I, yeah, like, and, and I was thinking of, like, what what's a great moment where that happens, and I couldn't... For the life of me, like what? For, here's here's how vague it is for me. My number three pick is something that I don't even remember what the movie was. I watched so many crappy horror movies that I remember. And, and in most crappy horror movies, if there's maybe one or two things where I go, oh, that's kind of cool, I figure I've come out ahead. Um, most horror movies you watch, there's nothing to recommend them whatsoever. So every now and then I see these one or two cool things, and I'm like, okay, that was all right. So this is one cool thing I saw in a horror movie. I've seen it like in the last year. I don't remember what the movie was, so I can't tell you the name of the movie, but I'll tell you the cool thing. Uh, it's where a woman is – she's got a flashlight, and she's exploring a dark, scary place. And something scares her, and she drops the flashlight. And the flashlight, which is round and cylindrical, as most flashlights are, it's rolling along the floor. And it rolls up the length of a dead guy's body illuminating a little circular part of his body, like a spotlight moving up there, and it just comes to rest with the beam shining on his dead, scary face. And I just remember thinking, hey, that's kind of a cool trick. I like that. And I don't even remember the movie it was from. So my number three pick is unspecified horror movie. Flashlight rolls along the length of a dead guy. You made fun of me. You go, oh, okay, light shines on pilot. (laughs) But this is... Can you picture what I'm describing, though? Because it's a cool visual trick. Like, it's it's cool the way they shoot that, the beam rolling up the body. And it's, you know, I don't know how many takes they had to do it to get the flashlight to stop at just the right point. But then it stops, and it's on his dead, scary face. Like, isn't that a cool image, no? Yeah, I guess if you see it. Uh, and I'm sorry I can't remember the movie. Is, is it Grave Encounters? No, good Lord, they should be so lucky to have a... Some a cool shot. See, like, do those camera things in that movie count as flashlights? Well, you know what? I don't know. We'll see if anybody uses the uh, what do you call the light on a video camera? The light. <laughs> right. We'll see if anybody <laughs> uses that for a flashlight. Okay. So, Dingus, am I am I allowed to do that if I can't remember the name of the movie? Apparently, you are. Yeah. I'm I mean, trying to I'm trying to imagine a, a flashlight rolling up. Yeah, I didn't get that either. The uh, the. It's on the floor. Top of the flashlight is usually larger than the base. So okay, fair enough. And so that it, it usually rolls in an arc. Unless it's one of those um, grand canyon, it's like thermos shaped. All right. Well, no, they they you know there was some maybe they had to take some physics liberties with how it rolled. I don't know. Did um, it make sense it, when you saw it? Yes. Terminator. But, and that's <laughs> well, that's the thing is it stuck out in my memory. It, it looked cool enough that I remembered it, and I didn't think, oh, that's stupid. They've just violated the physics of rolling flashlights. You know, it worked. Uh, it was. It's effect- weird though because Ding, the way Dingus when Dingus said that, I go, it was kind of what I was thinking. You were like, how is that possibly even? And you go, oh, it's so memorable. Like it made perfect sense when you saw it. Like scared you. 
Well, okay, what I'm saying is they set it up maybe where it rolled in an arc, and that didn't screw up the beam shining at the right place at the right time. Or light shine differently on dead bodies. Who knows, Kelly Wand? It's physics and so on. I, I do like the, the mental image. The, the problem I have is it's like when you've, uh, when you've seen a really cool commercial and you can't remember what it was advertising. <laughs> yes, Dingus. Yes. Welcome, welcome to my life as a fan of horror movies. <laughs> All right, Dingus, what is your number three pick for a flashlight scene? This is is your topic, so I'm expecting great things from you, Dingus. All right, here's my number three. Here's a line from the movie. Mm. There's a layer of mist just covering the eggs that reacts when broken. They're not flashlights when they're that far in the future. That's got to be like a space... They don't flash. They're just lights. <laughs> like the lights on cameras. So were they carrying flashlights? Or did, were they were mounted to their helmets. helmets. Yeah. No, no. What's cool is that Kane is actually carrying a flashlight. That's In addition what to the stuff on his helmet. Uh, yeah, yeah, I kind of remember that actually is right. That does sound familiar. Yeah, and that, and it's not like the flashlights that are mounted on the on, on the video cameras on the helmets in Aliens, but in Alien, uh, Kane is actually carrying a flashlight in his uh, he's in his spacesuit and he's carrying a flashlight in his hand, and I, I love that idea that that they have all this awesome technology and he still has to lug a flashlight around. So whatever he's doing Stupid in this company. scientific thing he's he's got to carry a flashlight and then his other hand will be available for whatever else he's going to do the glass uh, on his helmet's really uh fragile too this is what you should get upset about that's true so anyway the the uh but i also just love the way uh the the beam of the flashlight looks uh in as he's being lowered into what he calls a cave which is that you know the the egg chamber or cave or whatever and you see the flashlight Going, you know, describing the walls of the cave, going along the walls of the cave, and then as he's going into the egg chamber, you see him holding the flashlight, which is this weird sort of square little flashlight. Um, and uh, so, I, you know, I want to call out the, the cinematographers for these things because I think filming different light sources is really difficult, and making it look cool can be difficult, even though you can do a lot of cliches with it. But uh, this is a guy named Derek Fallon, and. Uh, he also did the cinematography for Dragon Slayer, in case, in case you want to know. I don't think there's any flashlights in that. But, uh, but John Hurt, uh, but specifically the moment where he's coming down on the, on the, the layer of eggs and he's carrying that flashlight. I just love that, that mental image of, of him holding the flashlight. I and I remember say, that. Say the cinematographer's name again because it cut out a bit. It's Derek Van List. Van List? I'm sorry, Van Lint. Derek Van, Van Lint. Okay, good. Uh, Kelly Wand, I think Dingus' approach to this 3x3, he's just going to mention, like, cool horror movies. And he'll know the cinematographer's name, so we won't be able to put up any fight. But he's kind of got a point, though. I can't, most good horror movies will have, like, cool flashlight stuff. We didn't think there was a... Oh, wait, I should have done that. Damn. All right. Oh, wait, I don't remember what is. <laughs> Hold that thought. All right. Uh, all right, Dingus, very good, because I can totally see that scene. Uh, very good. Kelly Wan, what's your number two awesome flashlight scene that you thought all week and came up with? Number two is? Uh, In Sky High, the superhero movie. (laughs) There's one guy whose superpowers he glows green, but he can only see it if it's really dark. So when he's in, it's like in the end of the movie, he's like crawling through the duct, and then it's the first time anyone notices that he's green. So... By this time, I'd approached the list as 
interesting types of flashlights, which I believe Dingus was really trying to say. Have vocabulary and motor skills. You're welcome, so Matt. I'm still not clear on the, the use yeah. of the flashlight in Sky High. Oh, the... You, they could go down a like a, a ventilation shaft because he was green enough to glow because they didn't have lights with them, even though they're superheroes. So he's like so a human he, flashlight. Yeah. He's the flashlight. Yeah. Right. He's like a skateboard punk character. Dingus, do the judges accept that, a human flashlight? It's Kelly Wand. All is accepted. <laughs> it have been worse. Hey, how do, I get, how do I get that sort of... Uh... Unspecified movie gets a free pass. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> don't, don't. But if Kelly Wan says anything, boo. So All right, well, here's human, human skateboard punk flashlight. All right, got it. Uh, my number two pick, I actually know the name of, so I've got that going for me. <laughs> so there's uh, there's actually a surprisingly good horror movie called The Collector, uh, which is about. It's one of these horror movies where you think you're watching movie type A, and then movie type B is also happening, and they get stuck together, and you have movie type C. Um, so the collector is – there's a heist that's movie type A, and then movie type B is there's a sadistic killer like from the Saw movies – that's movie type B. And then they get jammed together, the heist meets the saw dude, and they become movie type C. And that's what the collector is. Uh, this guy's going on a heist, and whoops, there's a saw killer here setting up traps. Uh, it's actually kind of cool. I recommend it. Um, you could do far worse as far as watching horror movies. Uh, last year, the sequel to The Collector came out, and it's called The Collection, uh, which uh, I don't necessarily recommend. Um and it is to the collector what Aliens is to Alien, in that now a team of badass, heavily armed dudes is going to go into the collector's lair, and they're going to bring with them the one survivor from the first movie as like their advisor. So you've got all these guys with guns, and they're going into this place that's got traps all around it, and there's spikes that are going to kill people, and bear traps that'll slam shut on them and blades that'll cut them up and all this stuff. And the one guy who doesn't want to be there, but they need his advice, he's the Ripley of the story, uh, he's along with them. And at one point he says, uh, can you give me a weapon to, help, to defend myself? You know, can I, have, can I have a gun or something? And so the lead guy hands him a flashlight. <laughs> now, that's kind of the joke, and you think, okay, well, it stops there. But then at some point, all of the collector's victims, who he's kidnapped and tortured and whatever, uh, and he's, he's made them go crazy. So they become like the zombies or the aliens in this movie, and they rush at our team of badasses and our hero. And that allows for, like, frantic firefight action. So during one of these attacks where all of the collector's victims are, are running up at him, the guy who was given the flashlight stabs in the mouth one of the attacking zombie-type things with the flashlight and kills him. And it does the whole special effect where you can see his head sort of lit up from the inside uh, with the flashlight. So stabbing a zombie in the mouth, it's not technically a zombie, but it fills that role kind of, stabbing a, a zombie attacker in the mouth with a flashlight in the collection, which causes him to glow from the inside, kind of like a jack-o'-lantern. Uh, if you've seen Dead Calm, it's kind of like what happens to Billy Zane at the end of uh, Dead Calm. Very nice with the flare. <laughs> flare guy. Exactly, right. But this is with a flashlight. So there you go. That's pretty good. And I remember so the name of it. the use of the flashlight. 
it's a gag, it's a joke at first, and then it's used it's a as a weapon, and it's a special effect. Yeah. So it's a bridle. Uh, I don't know that it, it's a brooch. It's a pterodactyl. It's a wrist. <laughs> <laughs> See, Kelly One, did you know what movie that was from? You got that one. Say, uh, Midnight Run to <laughs> Terminal. Dingus, what is your number two pick for use of a flashlight in a movie? All right, here's the here's a quote from the very scene that I'm talking about. I've become the calm little little center of the world. I was the Zen master. Uh, Rushmore, I'm sure. Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, it's a Fight Club? Uh, Iron Mike. Yeah, very good, Tom. Very good. How'd you do that? When's a, when is a flashlight used in Fight Club? When okay, the, oh, so is it when they're... Oh, wait, can I guess? Yeah, go ahead. Wait, this isn't right. No, it's, it's a fight flash is it, club. Is it Brad Pitt stomping around in the flooded basement fixing the fuse box? Uh, well, it's when... Actually, Ed Norton goes down to the basement to shut off the power uh, because all the water keeps trickling down the light bulbs and so he goes down to the basement to shut it, shut things off but the actual moment is is just after that after he goes upstairs and and tyler says you want to finish her off and um and jack or the narrator is brushing his teeth and he's got the flashlight i, I really love this little moment he's got the flashlight sitting on the sink you can't really even see it you just see the beam illuminating the bathroom because he shut the power off uh, and he's used the, this this flashlight to go down in the basement to, sh- to shut the power off, but he's using the flashlight in this scene to illuminate the bathroom. And I like that idea of because I've been camping so many times, uh, using a flashlight to illuminate a room for a different purpose, but not to point something out. And so what you have is is him standing in front of that sink, brushing his teeth so vigorously, and that the flashlight just illuminating the bathroom by shining on the wall right there. See, Kelly Wand, he didn't even have to use a horror movie for that one. Which movie? Fight Club. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jeez. That's a horror movie. For Please. The, some of the characters. Uh, all right, very good, Dingus. <clears throat> Who shot that, Dingus? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, that's Jeff Cronin with. Damn it. He also did Dragon Tattoo, in case you're wondering. Oh. That's not the guy that went on to direct uh, right at your door, is it? No, no, no. That's oh damn it. Uh, I can't remember. No, okay. that's not. no, he was a visual like effects guy on on Fight Club or something. Right, oh, right, right. I don't see movies with titles that geographically specific. Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> right at your door. Okay. Uh, all right, Kelly Wand. What is your number one flashlight moment in a movie? Uh, an Adam's Family Values, Uncle Fester, <laughs> put the light bulb in his mouth to impress a chick, and then it comes to life, and then they have sex. So that's a good flashbulb unit. Like, he's the no. flashlight. What? Then, but you're not gonna like- light, light bulb moment is a completely other topic. I promise you, I have another. But it's like he, but he's- I have a light bulb topic brewing, so that's not <laughs> flashlights. All right, all right, wait, I got a better one. Okay, and Close Encounters. <laughs> Wait, it's a good one. Richard Dreyfus is looking at the map with his flashlight. Oh! See? I just bitched you, didn't I? That's a great one. Go ahead, keep describing the scene, though. Say, so he's looking at a map, and then he... Uh, something happens. <laughs> but you think his flashlight's a UFO at first, because it's like slowly going down the page, and it's UFO-shaped, because the light's circular. What? <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm just having cool memories of, of Richard Dreyfus in his truck driving around trying to fix the power outage before we get the famous scene of the UFO coming up behind him. Doesn't he lower the map really slowly because he hears something weird happening in front of him? Well, no. He's uh, If I'm not mistaken, he's kind of just doing this Dreyfus-y shtick, like looking at the the map trying to figure out where he is and car a car comes up behind him and he waves it around and uh oh but I, and then oh that's right what distracts him is the the mailbox is shaking see um, and he, he shines a flashlight at him right right kelly Wan, there's a shot because yeah. i'm now seeing that in my head is him shining the flashlight over at either the sign wobbling or the mailboxes uh uh sort of thrashing back and forth wildly and the flashlight represents our primitive earth tech <laughs> And how far <laughs> outmatched it's about to be. So, I Dingus, guess. is is Kelly Wan allowed to do a last minute substitution like that? He has to because I'm not going to accept light bulb <laughs> in somebody's mouth. He accidentally came up with a good one then because I like that's I can totally see Richard Dreyfus whipping the flashlight around to see what's making that noise. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's fine. Although he wasn't talking about that scene, but that's fine. That's what I meant. Wait, what scene was he talking about? He's, he's talking about him looking at a map in a UFO light. Well, no, because he's lost when he's in the in his truck. He works for the power company, and the the UFOs have caused power outages. So he has to go out and, and he's he's in his truck, lost, looking on the map for where to go because it's before we had GPS, right? Kelly Wanders are another point. Yeah. Well, and then the flashlight gets turned off because the UFO because UFOs affect EMP. Yeah. By the way, I'm surprised you didn't come up with another Richard Dreyfus moment with a flashlight, but save it for the runners-up. You know what I'm talking about, Kelly Wand? Yeah, but I thought it was going to be your number one, so obviously it's not. Oh, well, thank you, Kelly Wand. No, it's not. My number one, because uh, I actually don't like the use of the flashlight in Jaws. When he's exploring Big Gardner's boat, I hate that, and I'll explain that during the runners-up. Um my number one, this is as I was thinking of, okay, what's horror movies where somebody's shining a flashlight and, hey, you see something scary, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and in thinking of that, I was, it occurred to me, okay, wait, what are moments where cops used flashlights? And then I was thinking, oh, wait a minute, isn't there a moment oh, yeah. where a cop bangs a flashlight on the side of someone's car during a standoff? And wait a minute, no, it's not. And so I... Because of, by the way, thanks Sony, you bunch of freaking jerks, I can't watch my Blu-rays, so I was unable to pull out the Blu-ray from Winter's Bone, but because my PS3 died, and they sent me another broken one. Uh, so I was unable to check my, uh, my Blu-ray of Winter's Bone. Fortunately, the scene is on YouTube, and it's when Garrett Dillahunt pulls over John Hawks and Jennifer Lawrence yeah. and has that is this our time moment. Uh, and I love Garrett Dillahunt's like, everybody's body language in that scene is amazing. Jennifer Lawrence sort of sitting in the car sideways, looking through the window at Garrett Dillahunt. John Hawks, <laughs> yes, Kelly Wan. Uh, John Hawks just coolly sitting there, looking in the mirror, not moving when he brings the rifle up. Uh, and Garrett Dillahunt's body language, using the flashlight to basically control where the focus is on the scene, you know, shining it on John Hawks through the, the side view mirror, occasionally turning it over to Jennifer Lawrence. Like, he's using it as a weapon more than his gun, even. And he pulls the gun out and he wraps the gun on the, on the car uh but i love that scene and i love how garrett dillahunt is kind of a coward behind the flashlight uh in that scene um so there's my number one pick is a garrett dillahunt's use of the flashlight in uh, winter's bone it made me think of a runner-up we'll save it for the runners-up because we will get to those uh dingus what is your number one pick for a flashlight scene in a movie 
Maybe right, you got a line for us. Yeah, here's a quote from it. It's impressive to see a man feeding off his emotions. I just got a total boner. I know what he's doing. Total boner. By total Kelly. boner, bro. Totes bun. See, man, that sounds familiar. Whatever it is, I think I've seen it. I'm going to go that far. I'm going to predict that this is a movie I have seen. I predict you are correct about that. I win. French <laughs> Connection. Definitely not French Connection. Not a 70s movie. Uh, why, they didn't have flashlights back then? Dingus wouldn't know a quote from a 70s movie. No, I've never seen any of those. <laughs> All right, Dingus, what is it? What is this movie that I have seen? All right, this is the movie Seven. Um... Another David Another Fincher Brad movie. Pitt. Fucking David Finch, Brad Pitt. You. Yeah. And uh, this is this is that, that that moment that is so silly in horror movies, uh, where the flashlight suddenly starts flickering at a very important moment, where it doesn't work and you have to bang it against something to get it to work again. Um, but I love the way David Fincher does this, and uh, it's it, this is shot by Darius Kanji, and it's the the moment when they've found John Doe's apartment and they've gone into it, and it's when uh, David Mills, who's Brad Pitt's character, is looking at the the dark room where uh, John Doe has his pictures hanging up on that line to dry, and and David Mills has that that quintessential I don't know if that's the right word that that cliche that that perfect cop flashlight, that big cop flashlight that L.A. cops can't carry anymore because they don't want them to hit people with it, um, that big, heavy flashlight, and he's carrying it into the bathroom, and he's shining it, shining it up on those pictures, and it starts to flicker. And and what they do with it, what Darius Kanji and, and uh, David Fincher do with it is make this sort of strobe effect. It's very quick. It's, it's sort of a short little effect, but it's really cool as you're seeing these pictures that, um, that John Doe has strung up, and I just love the way. Uh, I think David Fincher uses flashlights so well, um, but it's part of the atmospheric feeling of Seven, anyway. But when he's coming in there and he's showing that flashlight up there, and it flickers a little bit, and he has to sort of knock it against something to get it to go back on, and it flickers again to make this strobe effect. Very good. That's all. So yeah. two David Fincher movies, Dingus. Is it? Do you feel like? Feels like you're a little Fincher heavy. And Prometheus. I am, I am Pr- Fincher heavy and Prometheus. This <laughs> <laughs> uh, Fincher likes exactly that kind of lighting. I wondered if Dingus was going to do the bit where Lance Henriksen is uh, is scooching himself down the round pipe in Aliens. Oh, that's isn't amazing. he pushing like a flashlight? That. He's got a flashlight. He's pushing with him, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's got a flashlight with him. I don't remember how he's holding it, but yeah. And yeah, it illuminates his face and the little tube around him that he's crawling in. Uh, when you mentioned the flashlight in Alien, I immediately thought of that bit in Aliens. Um, when you were doing your winter spell, and I was thinking of Fargo. Who okay. uses a flashlight in Fargo? That highway patrolman who shines it at Stormare's face. Oh, yeah, that's right. When When he pulls him over, that's really good. Yeah. Uh, Kelly one pronounce that actor's name again. Peter Stormer Arms. Peter Sturms. Strimmers. Peter like Strimmers. I like that you said Stormare. Storm <laughs> like Steve like it's, a, it's a female horse in a storm, right? Stormare. Hey. Uh, it's Stormari, yeah. I believe. 
Uh, all right. So uh, before we go to runners up, uh, Dingus, do we have any uh, submissions from readers for flashlights? This is a uh, tough one for me to think of. Yeah. Uh, so first we have Fred Bow. Uh, he's got one entry. Fred Bow here again. Ugh, he says. For fondest flashlight scene in a movie, my one pick this week is the kangaroo poaching scene in Crocodile Dundee. That's all I got. <laughs> what fucking you know, scene is that? We don't get a lot of Crocodile Dundee in the 3x3s, so thanks, Fred Bow. What? Wait. Tom? I do not remember a kangaroo Break poaching scene. You know what? There are- there are all kinds of great Australian movies where maybe, like, were there flashlights in, um, when did Picnic at Hanging Rock happen? Yeah, I don't know. Wait, when did what happen? Picnic at Hanging Rock? Like, did they have flashlights? Or was that even, what year did all that stuff go down? Yeah, okay, maybe not. Uh, Razorback. There you go. So there's a great, uh, horror movie, uh, from Australia called Razorback, where they hunt a giant Razorback, and I bet there were cool flashlight bits in that. Um... Uh, the Longest Weekend, the couple camping out in the Australian Outback. Uh, I'm sure there's scary flashlight stuff in there. But, yeah, I don't remember a kangaroo poaching scene with a flashlight there's, in Crocodile Dundee. There's never been an animated flashlight character. Well, I don't know that I can get on board with that, Kelly Wand. Uh. All right, Dingus, who else do we got? <laughs> we also have Paul Weimer. Uh, hi guys, going to skip camping movies and a certain low-budget horror movie that one of you might have picked already and go for other choices this time out. Number three, The Howling. The big honking flashlight is useful until it flickers and then it dies. That I is a, big, that's a great one, actually. I don't even remember. So there's a big flashlight the in The Howling? That's awesome to know. Okay. I think it's a big silver flashlight. I like those old big flashlights. It's a good because one. silver kills werewolves. That's right. Uh, number two, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the UFO flyover that darkens Richard Dreyfuss's flashlight. Oh, you didn't tell you Fester and then change it to that? <laughs> interesting. Paul <laughs> And his, his number one choice is Kill Bill Volume 2. The bride escapes being yeah. buried alive thanks to having a flashlight to focus her blows and escape the deadly trap. It was done way better in Buried. Oh, fuck. Why are you saying Buried now? Damn you. I know. Paul has two bonus answers. Should I do those? Fuck. Sure. Fuck. Readers uh, can have runners runners up. You don't. By the way, if you want to send in suggest, you don't need three exactly. You can have fewer than three or more than three. So you had a lighter and a phone though. You didn't have a flashlight, did you? And buried. Uh, a glow stick is a glow stick a flashlight? Dingus. <laughs> it's not a light bulb, so I'll allow it. I'll okay. allow anything other than your light bulb in the mouth trick. Sure. <laughs> All right, so what were Paul's runner runners? Uh, bonus answer that might not technically qualify: Gandalf lighting up his staff, showing the majesty and size of the ruined halls of Moria. I did think of that. I'm embarrassed to say. <laughs> in Fellowship of the Ring. And bonus answer number two, same qualifier: the fight scene in Equilibrium that is just lit by the muzzle flashes of all the gunshots is a really well done sequence. Best regards, Paul Weimer. I will not accept bonus answer number two, uh, but. The uh, the Gandalf staff. Gandalf. I <laughs> Wait a minute. Why are you accept you're accepting the Gandalf staff, Dingus? Yeah. Standards standards have gotten so lax around here. He gave like, me. He wouldn't let me have Uncle Fester's. Kelly Wan, First of all, you got away with Sky High, so I don't even want to hear it from you. <laughs> but then he got mad at me. Then he's like, all right. Playtime's over. No more no Uncle Fester shit for you, number one. 
That's what he's trying to say, right? Right. Uh, so, Dingus, is it, were, were those it? Because I have. No, no. Uh, we also have uh, Jeff Sweet. Hey guys, I've only got one submission this week, but it's one that I'm quite happy with. Ivan's childhood. Yeah, but See? what's the movie? Yeah. Uh, good point. But it's from it's from Ivan's childhood. Uh, Ivan, an orphaned twelve-year-old <laughs> boy, working as a scout for the Soviets at Stalingrad, is crawling alone in the dark building with a flashlight and his knife pretending that he is sneaking up on the Germans. When his flashlight plays across a message scrawled on the wall reading, quote, there are eight of us, none over 19, in one hour we're going to be taken and shot, avenge us, unquote. Oh. Ivan's play turns into a nightmarish fantasy with the sounds of shouting in German and women sobbing and a vision of his mother cowering in fear. The scene ends with Ivan confronting a coat on the wall, imagining it to be capturing a German officer, and begins to announce that it'll answer for the death of his family, but Ivan can't finish and breaks down sobbing. Throughout the film, Ivan presents himself, presents himself as a cold and closed-up soldier, but this one time we see him let down his guard and remind us that he's just a child. Largely due to the fantastic performance, I found the scene to be incredibly moving, and I'm overjoyed to have the opportunity to bring it up. Is this like a Pixar short? I don't know. <laughs> it's called Ivan's Childhood, and uh, by the way, if you want to see the scene yourself, uh, the entire movie is on YouTube. The flashlight scene starts at about the 51-minute mark. So that's Jeff Sweet with Ivan's Childhood, which I've never heard of, and I don't think anybody else has. Yeah, how long? Thanks, how Jeff. often? Yeah, how often do we get like surprised with something that none of us has none heard of us before? Heard of. No, but I love how passionate he is about it. Good, good job, Jeff. And we have one more. This is Aaron Vaughn. Dear, Wait, I'm still processing Ivan's childhood. Ivan's so it's a, is it a, it must be a Russian language movie then, right? That's why we've never heard of it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll bet, I'll bet our friend Bruce, I'll bet our friend Bruce Garrick knows it. Yeah. He watches it every night because he All loves it. Right. You know what? And I didn't know that Jeff, I wouldn't have taken Jeff Sweet for like a highfalutin foreign movie watching kind of guy. That's know. what's cool about movies is people, you go, oh, he would definitely like this. Like they'll have a really weird perspective on it. Yeah. Well, as books, everyone usually agrees on everything. <laughs> like Twilight. <laughs> all right, that's awesome. That's I was. I, thank you, Jeff. Good. That was great to hear. Uh, all right, so go ahead, Dingus. Sorry. All right, so our last one is Aaron Vaughn, Dear Quarter Three Three by Three. Here are my picks for the ble- the best flashlight things in movies. If it wasn't too late. My only rule was allowing myself one movie from Steven Spielberg or Wes Anderson or Ridley Scott. Number three. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just saw the all of them. Yeah, I know. Um, number three is I Saw the Devil. Do you guys yeah. know the movie yeah, I Saw yeah. the Devil? Yeah, it's a Korean serial killer movie. All right, the scene where the police are searching for some wetlands for a messing person and discover a girl's head in a river. Of all the times in movies where a flashlight is led across information to tell a story be it blood along a wall floor or reading hieroglyphics or shadow puppets this was one of my favorite delivery by light reveals the shot lingers so long on the disembodied head lazily rolling around in the water that the audience is given the same amount of time the characters have to take to figure out what and who we could be looking at and I like the eerie delivery of information by flashlight Okay, right, so that's so, not his Steven Spielberg, Ridley Scott, or Wes Anderson movie. See, it's what it shows, though. That's what people... That's the crutch that we all fell into, as opposed to a weird use of the light, or the light itself being somehow unique, like in Alien, I guess, kind of. 
right. <laughs> uh, number two, he's got Winner's Bone, but a different choice. Wait, what? Uh, the boat? At the, at the end in the lake with the chainsaw, I think ah. this one is pretty self-explanatory. Uh, and I remember that, that mental picture of them walking along, and I remember that, that that flashlight thing, but I also remember watching it again and seeing that it doesn't look that like they shot that movie, that, that particular scene at night. Um, oh, a little day-for-night action. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Tom winked. <laughs> I saw um, the flashlight in that scene as being upstaged by the chainsaw. I didn't really notice flashlight. And his his number one choice is Close Encounters of the Third Kind, when Richard Dreyfuss is stuck on the railroad tracks and is using his flashlight to look around, and then the aliens blind him with theirs. They even Morse code the plot into his head with their flashlight, proving how much better their technology is than ours. We'll show you real flashlight. (laughs) Now you're going to lose your family (laughs) and sculpt the giant mountain. (laughs) Thanks, aliens. He has really advanced. Steal our kids. <laughs> That's awesome. We got a little uh, impromptu Close Encounters of the Third Kind synopsis. Yeah. Thank you, Kelly Wand. Oh, I think it from him. Although he's on the railroad tracks, but it's like... you going, oh, He's not he's- on railroad tracks, by the way. He's not stalled on railroad tracks. He stopped in front of them, I just want to point out. Oh, never mind. I was going to say, it's shutting off power, so it's actually the best time to be stuck on the railroad tracks, because the train's going to stop, because the UFO shot a flashlight. Oh, because the trains are run by electricity, Kelly Wand? <sighs> Just like the mailboxes are. <laughs> oh, gotcha. And his glove compartment. Yeah. Uh, all right, can I now explain why the scene in Jaws sucks? Uh, well, Aaron Vaughn does have three runners-up. Oh, sorry. oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. He's right. got his, some good ones, so let's hear the rest of them, absolutely. All right. I had some runners-up, including the last third of John Carpenter's The Thing. Hmm? Uh, he doesn't say anything specific. Uh, Jurassic Park, where the dinosaur's pupil shrinks. Uh, come on, Dingus. Don't yeah, let him. Don't, you shouldn't have even read that one. That was so off the table. Right. Aaron, I don't, thinking. Yeah, I don't remember this. In Heat on the Airfield, because the characters are trying to outmaneuver each other based on the lights flashing. However, I thought it would be cheating since I'm not sure I could get away with calling signal lights flashlights, even though they're flashing lights. It's not yeah, a flashlight. It's, uh, it's that crazy, like, uh, it's like really bright and then really dark at the end of Heat. Uh, does the back signal count? Unless it turns out someone on the three-way three used something like a lighthouse, ironically, and got away with it. Someone like Tom, probably. If I that's the case, this. I'd replace this runner-up with my number two pick. Tom because he did not, did not single me out as the guy who would bring up a lighthouse. Did he really? He did. He said, like Tom, probably. You are the worst topic breaker. I agree with that guy. <laughs> your uh, physical gesture. All right, here's uh, – was that it, Dingus, or more? Was yeah, he just says, thanks for the podcast, Aaron. So there you go. Go on. So Aaron is now my arch nemesis, by the way. Uh, so here's why that Jaws scene sucks. Um, first of all, uh, I, I just hate the that cat scare. Like, it's so cheap the way that Ben Gardner pops out, and there's a crazy loud sound effect. I've talked about this before. It's just really – it just annoys me. So I, I watched that scene again to see if anything interesting happens with the flashlight that Richard Dreyfuss is shining onto Ben Gardner's head. Um, and the way that whole scene is shot, I think, is really goofy. So the, 
the head pops out, and there's a loud sound effect, and then there's a shot of Dreyfus reacting, basically going, Ugh! like when he's wearing on, he's got yeah. this uh, diving mask, and he's holding the flashlight and the shark tooth, and then there's another shot of the head shot closer, so you can clearly see the special effect. It's a latex head, and it's got an eye popped out, whatever. And then there's another shot of Richard Dreyfus conspicuously dropping the flashlight and the shark tooth and swimming away. So it's sort of like this thing pops out, and instead of the act of it popping out scaring him and making him drop stuff, it looks like it pops out, and he sits there and stares at it for a moment and then drops everything and swims away. Um, uh. So I, anyway, I just feel that scene is so cheap anyway, but also, how does a giant shark suck out someone's eyeball? And put the boat back, like leave the boat so that someone can find it. Hey, don't fuck with them. He's fucking with them. The shark. In, so it's just like yeah, psychological it's, it's, war. It's psyops. Because in Jaws: The Revenge, that shark knows where Ellen Brody's going <laughs> the Caribbean and can follow her. It's psychic. And so the sharks know how to just suck out an eyeball. Yeah. You know what? It's like that whole bit. Spielberg is a Spielberg's a hack. It's like that bit in uh, Jurassic Park three where the the ship. Are you serious? Joe Johnston. Yeah. No, no, two, two. The one where the the boat sails into San Diego. That's two, right? Yeah, that's two. Right. So that one where the the big old T Rex is on the the (laughs) container ship, and it doesn't it like. Aren't doesn't yeah. bodies like cut out? And you think it's oh, like maybe velociraptors could do that, but there's no velociraptors on the ship. How does a giant T Rex kill people the way the crew was killed? On go back boat? down under to wait and then break out. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Spielberg, I'm calling you out. That was weird to me at the time, and I was like, Are we really gonna give that a pass, audience? Right. Okay, yeah. I guess we are. <laughs> so the same thing. Are you gonna maybe give- it's like Cloverfield, where it's got like little T Rexes on its back that. Fall off and then run through the ship. Yeah, look at Dingus retconning now. Uh, Look what he's retconning too. Every director should have a friend like Dingus. But are we going to give Are we going to give Jaws a pass from Ben Gardner's eyeball being? No, but also too the shark cat scare later with Brody and the chum. I'm okay with that one. one. No, that's what I'm saying. But it's like, if you watch Jaws again, it's like, oh, this is the Ben Gardner one. That's not the awesome one. That they added after it was shot, by the way. They shot yeah. that in a swimming. They added that. They felt the need to add something scary there. And it's just, you know. Well, maybe his head, head just got squeezed so hard that his eyeball just popped right out. You know, Dingus, I was going to, I thought your Cloverfield analogy was kind of silly, but I like that one. That one I'm, I'm down with. So maybe it was, it was just shark violence applied to the boat mushed Ben Gardner's head so much that it popped his eyeball out. You know what, Dingus? Thank you. you Maybe the shark was a passenger, and he was ferrying it to Manhattan. Kelly, why do you want to take something beautiful Dingus has just accomplished and make fun of it? That's what I do. Dingus restored restored Jaws to the ranks of perfect movies for me just now. Thank you. Make him do Lost World, then, while he's up. Yeah, Dingus, how does Pete Postlethwaite beat up that guy with one arm behind his back? Because that girl can do gymnastics. <laughs> can you name another movie where a woman uses a gymnastics-related skill to trump the monster? Uh, Haywire. <laughs> <laughs> Not Haywire. In, in Chupacabra Terror, Shalane Simmons 
play, who plays the kickboxing instructor of the ship's – it's a cruise ship, and she's a kickboxing instructor. She kickboxes the chupacabra, and it's like the girl Jim Codine, the, the velociraptor in, in the Jurassic Park movie. Does anyone so kick is, anaconda? Tom, what is that? <laughs> a chupacabra. Uh, Dingus is no, I can't. I can't do justice to that line reading. I'm but sorry. you tried. That's the first time I've gotten you to try. That's awesome. I did. Do you want to hear my Australian accent? I do. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. Uh, uh, one of my runners-up is an Australian movie. Yeah, let's. Can you give us a line from it in an Australian accent, Dingus? Uh, I, I can't. Uh, I don't know any lines from this movie. I just remember all the flashlights. He bragged about it and then just walked back. Nope. <laughs> uh, so what's the Australian movie with a bunch of flashlights? That would be Sanctum. Um, and even though I didn't like the movie Sanctum, I love the way light is used as a resource in this movie. <laughs> Tom. No, that is that is beautiful because okay, so here's what happens. I, I this topic was really difficult for me, and when there's a topic that nothing comes to mind, I find myself myself at night when I'm falling asleep trying to think, damn, what are flashlight movies? Ugh. And I no joke, thing is I only just now remembered this because you said it. I woke up this morning having like dreamed that Sanctum was an awesome choice because doesn't he have a flashlight necklace or something? <laughs> yes. He really dreamed that. I did. I swear to God, I woke up this morning thinking, oh, I got to remember oh my God. dream. Yeah, I was like, I got to write down Sanctum. <laughs> but then as I, as I woke up more and more into my day and I realized, oh, Sanctum is a terrible movie. I'll bet bad on a three by The director of Sanctum doesn't even do that. <laughs> uh, so, well, that's, that's a great thing, Ding. It's because that book you had me read, which I don't remember the name of, about the race to find the deepest point on Earth. One of the things they talk about with spelunking is how light is such an incredible, precious resource when, when you're underground like that and, and sanctum did play with that a little bit um, wait there's also case. all these great they, they're they're strapping flashlights to their to their uh hard hats and and whatnot and i i really hate that moment where he's got that little uh chekhov's necklace thing <laughs> uh, i i, I despise that but the but the other stuff where they've got flashlights strapped to their helmets and it's a continuing uh diminishing resource as they're yeah. Yeah. Getting further underground. I just love that about Sanctum. Yeah. What do you think of that, Kelly Wand? What about the Klieg lights in Die Hard? Are those flashlights? Just big ones? They're shooting the lights. Mm. <laughs> uh, all right. Other runners up? Who? Is there a flat when um uh, in, in No Country when he's trying to retrieve the Oh uh, good goodness. Uh, ah, damn, I want to change my list. Right. Yeah, explain the same thing is because I can totally see that in my in my head now. No, you go ahead. You you I like the way you reacted to it. Go ahead. Well, it's when he's running away, isn't it? Like he's running away from. He goes back to the site, and the car with the lights comes up on him, and he runs away, and the dog chases him, and the pursuers you just see in the distance they're holding flashlights as they're running him down. Is that what you're yeah. thinking of? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I'm gonna change. Let's see. What did I have? Let me strike off. Unnamed horror movie. <laughs> Wait, I like that one. Put in No Country for Old Men. It's not a bad uh, title. That is a good one. Um, mm, also, the one he's shining a light when he's moving the shit around in the thing. <laughs> <laughs> if you know what Kelly Wan was talking about, write to Why am I an unemployed writer? writer. <laughs> uh, yeah. Forget the Kickstarter. I don't know what I was thinking. Speaking of stuff Kelly Wan is talking about, Kelly Wan, what do you have for us for next week's 3x3? 
Oh, tell me if we've done this one before. <laughs> yes. We still have to do it. Uh, bad idea, good execution? Question mark? <laughs> Ellipsis. Have Same. we gotten to your topic yet? <laughs> uh, can, you, can you elaborate for, for, for a little bit on that? Uh, an example of that? All right. Uh, I think that Deep Blue Sea is a really dumb idea because it's about sharks with super brains, which doesn't sound like that interesting a combination, but it's really good when they eat Samuel Jackson's head. First of all, they don't eat his head. They eat... Actually, they do bite him in half eventually, I believe. Your second uh, of all. Uh, and second of all, uh, I don't know why you think that's a bad idea. <laughs> no one wants to see intelligent sharks. Oh, please. Well, I'm saying, put it this way. Jaws was pretty smart, the shark's name, Jaws. Uh, and the fourth one's psychic, but in Deep Blue Sea, it's supposed to be scarier that they're smart. But it's like, you just make the shark smart anyway. Like, oh, we don't know what he's thinking. It's a fucking shark. But if it has, like, a, a human-trained brain in it, it's not scarier than just a normal shark. Kelly Wan, I think the idea of shark science gone wrong and the sharks getting out and eating people, I don't care what the science is, I think it's awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think Rennie Harlan... Cool. Especially if they can swim backwards. Oh, holy cats! That seals the deal for me. Yeah. Those uh, all right. So, so Kelly, Wan, do you want a movie that's a bad idea, but it's a good movie anyway? Or can yeah. you explain? Read uh, what it's about, and you go, "What? It's about a bounty hunter and Charles Broden. This can't be good. <laughs> On a train at what time of the night? Oh. All right. So, how would you succinctly express what this three by three is? It's movies where the idea for it was really dumb. Actually, I thought of another one. Uh, like RoboCop is kind of a dumb idea, isn't it? <laughs> but really good execution. Uh, RoboCop has a pretty sound tradition behind it. I mean, it's the Frankenstein story, basically. Yeah, but I remember seeing the stand-up for it and just going, uh, RoboCop. Okay. Too lippy. I don't want to see that movie. <laughs> uh, so I enjoy okay, it. So- so again, I did cut you off though, so sorry. Actually, you kind of interrupted yourself. You derailed yourself. Uh, but so, so how would you express succinctly this three by three? Bad idea, good execution. <laughs> Dingus, have we done that one before? No. <laughs> Dingus sounds excited about it. Bad idea, good execution. All right, any questions? And I gave like three examples, which mm-hmm. I n- is three more than I can ever normally do. Right? <laughs> All of which Tom refuted. <laughs> So, bad idea, good execution, but yeah. off the table are uh, RoboCop, um, Deep Blue Sea, Deep Blue sea and what was your third? Star Wars, Godfather. Damn it. Stop talking. Uh, all right, well, we'll see what happens with that next week. Join us see, to Tom see. Just went, Tom just goes, no, it's a good idea. Like, that's his refuting it. <laughs> like, bad, good. Nope. Switch them. All right. Sorry. At least, at least I won't have to try to think of things in my sleep. This is this is a three by three. I will not have dreams about. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> well, that's what I want because dreaming sucks. I think that R is wrong in warm bodies. I love that you woke up thinking of Sanctum this morning. That makes me so that's happy. Right, and I, and the funny thing is, like, I, it's one of those things. Like when you wake up from a dream and you're like, I just thought of the most awesome. Uh, idea for a, a script. You know, this is going to be a surefire, awesome script. And then as you wake up more you, and you're thinking in, about yeah. it, kind of articulating in your head, you're like, oh, that's stupid. 
what was that? It's it's like dream logic, and and it's totally what I was thinking about Sanctum. It's like, oh my God, there's the awesome flashlight at the end of Sanctum. This is going to be the best three by three pick ever. And then as I woke up more and more, I was like, wow, I just thought Sanctum was a good three by three pick. Tower Heist is like a dream Brett Ratner had. <laughs> oh wow! And then, but he didn't. <laughs> Really. He never woke up. Yeah, he never woke up. It's all kept, of his movies. Oh, yeah. They go out and they look at a Snoopy float. It's going to be fucking great. <laughs> ben, Matthew Broderick's going to be hanging from a car. Ben Stiller's serious. <laughs> Alan Alda's the bad guy. There's a lot of good ideas from a terrible dream. <laughs> so that might be on someone's list, because maybe it's a bad idea, good execution. Tomorrow. Could be. Could be. Yeah. Uh, all right, so join us for that uh, next week, and we will be seeing. What do you guys think of uh, seeing Identity Thief from oh. the director of Horrible Bosses? Starting, just, uh, I don't know if the Soderbergh movie comes out. Yeah. There's also a Soderbergh movie starting next week that'll, that'll have a limited release, I presume, um, called Side Effects that I'm looking forward to seeing. I don't know anything about it, which is cool with me. Um, but we don't, we don't know if it'll open widely enough for Kelly Wan to be able to see it, since you're in a whole other country up there. Uh, so instead, you know what? Melissa McCarthy's funny, don't you think, Kelly Wand? Comedies guys, are always boring. Too. Did you guys see the trailer for uh, The Heat? The Heat. <laughs> it's, a, it's a buddy cop movie with Melissa McCarthy and Sandra Bullock. Oh, wait, that sounds good. This sounds like a good idea, bad excuse. <laughs> and it's, di- it's directed by Paul Feig, the guy who did uh, Bridesmaids. So, who knows? So she's in every movie that guy makes. It's called The Heat? The Heat, yes. Sandra Bullock, uh, and, right. uh, yeah, is she's the uptight cop, and Melissa McCarthy is the uh, non-uptight cop. Yeah. Wait, so she was the non-uptight cop in Armed and Fabulous. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about, but I want to hear about it. Go ahead. She yes, eats, you want? She eats pizza and, and farts all the time, but they have to turn her into a beauty contestant to catch William Shatner. Oh, wait, this is a Sandra Bullock movie. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about Melissa McCarthy. I said armed and fabulous. <laughs> what is the least terrible? I'm going to ask both of you guys this. What is the least terrible Sandra Bullock movie of all time? Thing is, do you have a candidate? The least? <laughs> Besides Crash, you mean? Huh. Oh, wow. Wow, Jeez, you went right there. Yeah. yeah. That's embarrassing. Right there. Not cool. Not cool. Uh, Demolition Man's good. Oh, that's right. That is her. Uh, we all like speed, though, don't we? She doesn't damage speed. Yeah? No? You made right. speed sound like a character who survives. Uh, I think I'm the only one here who saw The the, the Blind Side. Is that the name of that? <laughs> she won an Oscar for that. Is that why you saw it? No, she didn't. Are you serious? Yeah. For and The Blind right. Side? Blind Side. No one wins for the right movie. Fucking Paul Newman won for Color Money. So there's a right movie that she should have won for? Speed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at any rate, uh, uh, The Heat is, is, I think it's a summer movie, so maybe we'll see that then. But in the meantime, we'll be seeing The Identity Thief next week. Uh, Join us for that, uh, as well as our 3x3 from Kelly Wand for Great Idea, Poor Execution. No. (laughs) How about Terrible Idea, Great Execution? Uh, if you would like to send in candidates for that, we're curious what you think. Send them to 3by3 at quarter2three.com. That's 3x3 at quarter2three, spelled out, dot com. Uh, and join us next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Merlansky. That would be Christian Murawski. 
And Kelly Wan. Forces of Nature's good. Uh, Hope Floats. Oh. What? Oh. Give us a can anecdote. This happened a couple weeks ago, but I had too many that week. This week, because <laughs> I got laid off. Uh, but I was, it was like raining, like every day here. And this chick was jogging towards me in the crosswalk in the rain, like while listening to her iPod. And then this car to the left turn and almost hit her. And then she saw it the last second and then like, went, hey, don't hit me. And then they just drove past. And then the driver was laughing. And she looked at me and then also laughed. And then I went, uh. <laughs> That could have gone a very different way. way. Yeah. Well, they, they, they laughed it off. I just thought, that's me for you. Uh, that's very sweet. I like that as a, as a statement about the Canadian national character. I like that, Kelly Wand. That's, no, it was a terrifying, like, if you get killed, they'll, you're supposed to laugh that off. Oh, in that case, I think it's horrible. Right. <laughs> Do you have a Winnetka for your life? Uh, let's see. A Winnetka dote. Uh, oh, no, that would be Dingus. Ding, I would have a Tahonga dote. Dingus, do you have any Winnetka dotes you can share with us? Sure, I've, I've got one. Uh, my uh, my kid was playing in his room with uh, his uh, next-door neighbor uh, friends, and uh, they're playing with Legos, and they're playing with Star Wars Legos in one of his... Uh, next door neighbor friend said uh do you like star wars and my son said yeah and his friend said i hate star wars <laughs> awesome i like hear this. that jj abrams that's what jj abrams has to contend with that's your, that's your target audience that's who george lucas thought he could. see george lucas made us all sit through jar jar he goes that kid's gonna like it and the kid's like ah this is fucking awful he's three so basically the children of the world triumph. I like that story. They're way ahead of us. Yeah. You can make Star Wars Legos without video games? Yes, that, that is possible. You can there make are Star Wars Lego <laughs> sets. Yes. I'm pretty sure you can do that with the, all Lego sets. Give the choice of watching movies this week. Um, my son, rather than watch the prequels for the first time, Ugh. he preferred to watch the Avengers uh, again. again. That's smart. Yeah. What did he say to the kid? Whoa, see? He just shrugs. Oh. You know, he shrugs. <laughs> Why do you keep shrugging? Stop shrugging. It's a non-committal gesture. Uh, thing is that there's only warm bodies is so forgettable that that's you've that's about the shelf life of any warm bodies reference is the end of this podcast. Uh, so I hope you're not going to try to draw that out. Nope, I provided it. It's done. That's that All character's right. trademark is he's the zombie who shrugs as opposed to. <laughs>
Well, I guess we have to see Identity Thief, Dingus. I wish the internet was still working so I could look, look up whatever is wrong with you. Right. 